Let's open our Bibles now, though, to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We are going to take a little break uh, from our study of the book of James. Uh, Over the next two Sundays, it's going to be three sermons, but two Sundays, uh, counting the, the, the evening service next week for Christmas Eve. We're going to be looking at the prologue of John's Gospel, where he tells us of the word who became flesh. And so, as you are able, let's stand together one more time in honor of the word of the Lord. We do this not out of empty ritual. We are, we are tangibly reminding ourselves of, of where the authority lies. That it is not in a man. It is not in our tradition. It is in the living, inerrant word of God. So hear now the word of the Lord. From John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your living word. We thank you for this this word that, that our brother John speaks of, the Lord Jesus Christ. The very word from God. We thank you, Lord, for... For this word that we have read together and hold in our hands, your written word, scripture, we thank you that you have seen fit to reveal yourself to us in your son and in your word. And I pray today, God, that by your spirit, the same spirit that inspired and breathed out this written word that we have read together, I pray that you would grant to us life and light. I pray for myself that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I love the Christmas story in John's gospel, although it's a very strange one. When when we look at the four gospels, Matthew and Luke give us that traditional Christmas story, the nativity, the incarnation, the birth and infancy of Jesus. I, I trust that, that, that in many of our homes we read together with our family, Luke chapter 2, as we come into this time of year. 
Mark's gospel, true to form, just skips it all together. And he just jumps right in with John the Baptist coming and announcing the, the arrival of Jesus on the scene in his public ministry. The Gospel of John, though, is entirely different. He plunges us right from the very first words into this profound mystery. The profound mystery of the incarnation, the coming in flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. He plunges us right into the mystery of the triune Godhead and the unity within the triune Godhead. He plunges us right into the mystery of Christ's two natures, his divine and human nature. That what we call the hypostatic union. That Jesus is truly God and truly man. And John just brings us to this place of awe and majesty and mystery. He invites us to drink deeply from the glories that God has revealed to us about who he is and about his working in the world. Look with me at, at, at verse number one. In the beginning was the word... The word was with God and the word was God. John was to make sure right from the start, right from the very opening words of his gospel that we don't mistake who Jesus is. That we don't take him for just another person. We don't take him for just a great example or a, or a good teacher or a wise man. So he begins his gospel, he begins his Christmas account with the most profound of statements. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He, he wants us to know this. The Lord Jesus Christ is, is a man like no other. There has never been anyone like this Jesus. So that, so that our every response to him right from the start, right from our introduction to him would be marked by reverence, would be mock, marked by a holy awe. The story of Christmas is not a story of sentimentality about a sweet baby in a manger whose parents had a, had a rough few weeks, had a particularly bad night. It's not about pretty lights or warm fireplaces or hot chocolate. John's telling us here in his prologue what it's really about, what, what's really going on. We are invited by John as he reveals to us what's really happening in Christmas to look into the very face of inexpressible glory and mystery and majesty and wonder. The, the very majesty of, of God in human flesh, something we're used to hearing, but if we just stop and think about it again. God in human flesh. So in the next two weeks, over the course of three sermons, we're going to be looking at this Introduction in John's gospel, this prologue, are arguably the most beautiful and profound statement of Christ's person and work ever put to paper. Looking particularly at three statements in this prologue. In the beginning was the word, as we'll be considering together this morning. Next Sunday morning, that the word became flesh. And then next Sunday evening, as we celebrate a Christmas Eve service together, that we have seen his glory. Focusing this morning, though, on John's opening words, verses 1 through 5. The, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as divine word. Jesus as the eternal God who created all things. Again, he says in verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. Such colossal truth. Two little verses, two little sentences. And more truth than we could possibly fathom. More truth than we could possibly imagine or or, or wrap our minds around. The word is eternal, we see, firstly. Notice John's language and, and the verb he chooses to use. In the beginning was the word. Past tense. He's not saying when the beginning happened, the word happened. He's saying when the beginning happened, the word was already there. In the beginning was already the word. When the beginning began, the word was already there. Clearly, he's drawing our attention back to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now John tells us there's more going on in that than you knew. When you read Genesis 1, 1, there's more happening there. In the beginning, when God made everything, the word was already there. He was not part of that creation. This, this word John speaks of is not created. C- compare this statement with verse 14 that we read moments ago. And notice the contrast. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Before the beginning, Jesus was there. He always was. In the beginning was the word. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, so at the dawn of creation, the word, word already existed. But in the middle of that creation's history, something did happen. The word who always was became something. He became something that he had never been before. Think of that. Existing eternally. Outside of time. Eternal. This concept we can't even fully understand. And then at one moment in history, this eternal word became something he'd never been before. The word became flesh. He took into union with himself human Nature, Unimaginable. Unimaginable that God would do this. When the virgin conceived of the Holy Spirit and bore a son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, that was not the beginning of the word. That was when the word became flesh. That's what the word incarnation means. It just means in flesh. Think of this though. Mary, before she ever drew her first breath... The word who became flesh, to whom she gave birth, already always was there. Already always was filling the universe with his glory. When time began, this word had already existed for eternity. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is not bound by time or nature. He has no beginning or no end. This word was already there in the beginning. It is essential for us to understand who Jesus is. To understand that truth. In the early church, there was a heretic named Arius. And this is an appropriate time of year to talk about Arius, the heretic. Because in response to his heretical teaching, they held what's called the Council of Nicaea. And church tradition holds that at the Council of Nicaea, the Bishop of Myra was in attendance. And Arius made his case. 
for his heretical doctrine, his heretical teaching about Jesus. And that bishop of Myra, he crossed the room and he went over to the heretic Arius as he spoke his heretical message and he struck him in the face to silence him. That bishop's name is St. Nicholas. This is a great time of year to consider Arius and his false teaching because Santa Claus once struck him in the mouth to silence him. What I find to be very sad news is there's virtually no chance that that actually happened. It's a great story. But Arius was not actually physically allowed in the proceedings, so it would have been awful hard for Santa to wallop him one. But I like to think he got a chance at him somehow. Arius, though, is the forerunner of modern groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, denying the deity of Christ, therefore denying his eternality. His slogan was this, there was when he was not. In other words, there was a time where this word did not exist. There was a time Jesus didn't exist. Jesus is a created being. Well, John wants to make it very clear right from the opening words, you can't have that. You can't believe that. That's absolutely not true. John says, at the beginning of creation, the word was already there. And so the word is eternal. Notice then, too, the word is truly God. Again, John is pointing back to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. But here, John says, in the beginning, was the word. So, so the God of Genesis 1 who presides over all of creation is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So, so this word that John is speaking to us about, all that God is, this word is. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders and he uses a striking phrase, highlights the significance of the point that John's making right here in this opening statement of his gospel. As the Apostle Paul speaks to the elders in Ephesus, he, said, he speaks of the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The church of God which God purchased with his own blood. Well, God the Father doesn't have any blood. He's spirit. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have blood to purchase anything with. So how could God purchase the church with his own blood? Christmas is how. By taking on flesh, by being born of a woman, by being laid in a manger, by ultimately being nailed to a cross. That's what John is telling us here. God himself took on flesh, became a baby, became truly human. This is mind-blowing. We, we spent some time with babies yesterday as our family celebrated Christmas together. They're a mess. <laughs> They're a handful. They're into everything. And then worst of all, diapers. <laughs> They need, they need to be fed. 
They need to be cared for. You need to make sure they don't eat the Play-Doh. All of these things. God himself became a baby. Truly a baby. What an astounding thing. Who could comprehend the God who would do this? He made his home in Nazareth, which means he didn't even come to be a rich baby or a kingly baby or the kind of baby you'd be honored by. He came to White Pigeon, Michigan. Sorry, whoever that was that felt hurt by those words. I didn't know we had a pro-White Pigeon crowd. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He, he, he became exhausted. He suffered greatly. This same God who spoke creation into existence, the great I am, the Lord God himself had curses screamed in his face by people who he, he built their lungs. He spoke the air and the oxygen into existence that they inhaled deeply so that they could curse him all the louder and be heard by everyone. He had nails driven into his hands and his feet by the ones whose muscles he created. This man, Jesus Christ, is the king of glory. We sing that great old hymn often here. Who is he in yonder stall? At whose feet the shepherds fall. Tis the Lord, O wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the king of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him. Crown him, Lord of all. That is who John is revealing right in his opening words, this word to be. This Jesus to be. The word is truly God, but the word is also distinct from God the Father. The the, the word is identical with with God in in strength and and power and eternality and and all the glorious attributes of, of Godhood, and yet he is distinct Verse 1 again says the word was with God. Literally the word is the word was was toward God. I love this picture of the triune Godhead. Each person of the triune Godhead being turned towards one another in infinite love, infinite fellowship, infinite unity. The father delighting in his son. The son delighting in the father. The spirit delighting in the father and the son. There is no lack of. All that the Father is in glory, Jesus Christ, the Word, is as well. And yet, Jesus Christ is not the Father. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one, but they are not interchangeable. There is but one God, but there are three persons. The Father is God. The Word, verse 14, calls this Word the Son. Verse 17 calls this word Jesus Christ is God. The Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. There are not three gods. There is one God. There is not one person. There are three persons. We could describe the the triune Godhead as one what and three who's. One what? God, three who's, Father, Son, and Spirit, dwelling forever in unbroken, perfect unity. 
There has never been a disagreement. There has never been a need to hash things out. There has never been a need to get on the same page. There has never been a lack of any kind. Despite what you may have heard at a youth rally at some point in your life, God did not need to create you so that he had someone to love. There has been forever perfect fulfillment and unity within the triune Godhead. And so when we come and we look at this little baby in a, in a humble manger, we are staring into inexpressible mystery, into the face of God himself. How should we respond to that? How, how should we respond to something that magnificent? remember years ago when our son Asher was a student at Taylor University, we went to a Christmas chapel. It was right at the end of the, the semester. It was an evening thing and it was a Christmas celebration. The students were all going to be going home. The music department was, was putting on a production and it was a festive atmosphere to say the least. Uh, people were dressed festively and everybody was in high spirits because they were going home for their break. The students were enjoying it. It was, a, it was a fun night. And then one young woman got up. And nobody was taking anything too seriously. It was fun songs and everybody was kind of raucous. And this young woman got up with her violin. And she played Oh Holy Night. And the place fell silent. There was no longer any banter going on among people. Nobody was looking at anything else. Focused on anything else. It was a holy moment. And in fact, the, when she finished, you could, you could almost feel the emotion in the room from every person there. The orchestra director got up to, to, to move on with the next part of the thing, and he was choked up. And everyone in the room felt it. There, there was this instinctive reaction to majesty. There was this instinctive reaction to beauty and to glory. We have that. You've, you've, you've perhaps stood on the shore of the ocean at just the right moment. You've perhaps been on top of a mountain or near the top of a mountain. Not in the dangerous way where you're afraid you're going to die, but in the way where you look out and you behold something that you just don't see in Topeka with our flatlands. You go to the Grand Canyon and you're in awe of it and you're a little bit afraid and it takes your breath away. We're hardwired for that. We're hardwired for glory. We're hardwired for beauty. We are, we, we are designed for awe. And that's John's purpose as he gives us his Christmas story. To just plunge us right into beauty and awe and mystery and glory. He wants to show us ultimate beauty. Beauty that surpasses the ocean or the mountains Eternal glory, glory that surpasses earthly kings and their kingdoms and great works of art. And he wants to do this, not just so that we'll have an amazing experience. He wants to do it so we'll be affected. So that we would bow down in holy awe. So that we would worship. So that we would give ourselves in adoration and praise to this God-man. This eternal living word. So we would surrender to him. He tells us in verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. 
Everything, everything that exists came into being through him. This is simple, clear, flawless evidence that Jesus Christ is eternally God. Everything that exists, he made it. It all came from him. He didn't come from anyone. He didn't come from anything. Everything came from him. And John says, just to be clear, without him was not anything made that was made. So so not only in the positive, he made all things, but let's come from the other side. Literally, there's nothing that was ever made that he didn't make it. Not one thing, not one thing exists that he didn't make. Well, this must mean that he's not a created being. He didn't create himself. Only the eternal God is uncreated. So we cannot escape right from the start of John's gospel. We cannot escape who this Jesus is. Jesus Christ is God. We must acknowledge his deity or we have a different Jesus entirely. This leads John to another conclusion then. As he, as he reveals who Jesus is, he says this in verse 4, In him was life. He didn't get that life from someone. No one gave life to him. In him was life. When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, you are looking at the one who is himself Life. That is a massive, massive statement. He is life. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. It's in him that we have our very existence. All that exists only exists because it has life from him. And he not only originates that life, Hebrews chapter 1 says, he upholds all things by his power. He not only gave life, he sustains life. He not only created, but he upholds that creation because in him was life. John continues in verse 4. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. John's connecting these two things. Life and light. The, the one who was life became the light of men. He came into the world to, to be a light shining in the darkness to reveal God. Jesus says as much in John chapter 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. He came as, as light and then John makes this great statement. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Literally, the word here is to, to overcome is to, to pounce on it, to overtake it. Picture a lion attacking its prey and just overpowering it. So, so the one who is life came into the world and is the light of the world, and the darkness cannot overpower it. That's the nature of darkness and light. Darkness can't overtake light. Light always overcomes darkness. It's never the other way around. Light always overcomes darkness. If you are in a pitch black room and you light one tiny little candle, what's going to happen? 
Anywhere that candle goes, it's no longer pitch black. The darkness cannot overcome the light. And that's what John tells us here. And there's this huge shift in the language that comes from verses 1 through 4 to verse 5. John's been saying was, 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 past tense. And now he says shines. Present tense. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 5 is happening right now. The, the light shines in the darkness right now. The darkness cannot overcome it right now. It's not just some theoretical discussion of philosophy that John's taking us on. John's not sitting thinking, how can I be just so poetic with my words? And what beautiful and poetic words they are. He's telling us what's happening right now. It's not just a history lesson. Jesus came and he took on flesh and he lived a life and he was a shining light, a shining example. No, he's, he's telling us what's happening right now. Jesus is for us right now. Light and life. That light shines today. And the darkness still hasn't overcome it. We've been going through the book of James. We're still in chapter 1. James has been talking to us about trials. For many of us, it feels like good timing. I've had a number of people both in our church and out of our church that have said, this couldn't have come at a better time. I'm listening to these sermons on James and I am going through it. And God is, is, is speaking to me. God is bringing comfort to me. James has offered great hope and offers great hope as he speaks to us of our trials and helps us to understand what God is doing in them and how we can trust God in the midst of them. And now John comes and he offers us hope in the midst of any circumstance as well. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You hear that, Christian? Do you hear that, fellow sufferer? The darkness won't win. The darkness can't win. God will still accomplish every single one of his good purposes, right down to the tiniest Detail. Nothing gets missed. Nothing gets lost. Nothing slips through the crack. It's so important for us. There, there is a conflict between light and darkness. That still goes on. We feel that in our life. The darkness wants to overcome the light, but here's what John tells us. It cannot do it. It never will do it. It is impossible for it to do it. The light still shines and the darkness doesn't stand a chance. We got a picture of that this week. One that I find particularly delightful. The Iowa State House over the last week and a half or so has had a shrine to Satan in it. Standing as you walk into the State House in Iowa is a statue erected by the Church of Satan, a, a, a mannequin with a Baphomet head, that, that horned goat head, 
uh, crimson robes, surrounded with candles, with the, the pentagram, goat head, emblem of the Church of Satan, and the, the whatever they call it, the seven commandments of Satanism or whatever it is. This, this shrine surrounded by candles just there in the state house as you, as you walk in. And then this week, a Christian man named Michael Cassidy walked in and tore it down and beheaded it. And then I saw a great picture. Someone had taken a flyer and placed it over the little emblem of the, of the Church of Satan and the, the goat head pentagram. And it just read, Christ is Lord. Now, you know, that was just some dumb blasphemous statue. It didn't have any power. It, it was, in fact, when a human being came up and we're, we're pretty weak when it comes right down to it. But that statue was powerless. That statue was powerless against an actual human. It put up no fight. He just tore it down and pulled its head off and destroyed it. And here's the reality. The darkness is powerless too. You know, it looks scary. It might even feel scary. We, we might feel the oppressive weight of evil, but it is powerless to defend itself against the light. Just as powerless as that dumb statue was when a living, breathing person decided to do something to it. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the darkness hasn't got a chance. John's prologue is wanting us to see all of this. To see the majesty, the glory, and the might of this Christ. To, to gaze at a, at, a, at a humble baby from a humble family, from a humble town in a humble manger. And to look and to see this is God and human flesh. And what this means is every one of God's promises is true and the darkness doesn't stand a chance. We cannot lose. Christ is Lord. John's prologue is such a powerful statement of the person of Christ, of his impact in the world. The light is shining. The word is speaking. This word is available to any who would listen, to any who would hear, to any who would open their eyes. The light shines. The word speaks. Jesus is the eternal word. God is speaking to the world in Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. God is, is speaking to you through this word. Christmas is a resounding statement from God of his love for you. Of his care for you. Here are the lengths I will go to, to to call you back to myself. He sent his son, born of a woman. Born under the law to redeem those under the law. Born to bear your reproach. The son who obeyed where you could never have obeyed. Where you failed in your obedience. And then to die the death that you deserve to die. To purchase your full and free 
forgiveness and to give you his own spotless righteousness. Hear God's call to you in this eternal word. This is the measure of God's desire to make you his own. So his word to you, his call to you, his invitation to you is his son. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the the eternal living word, the crucified, risen, reigning Lord of all creation. This is the light that the darkness can't extinguish. This is the light the darkness cannot overcome. This This is the one that the full weight of the forces of hell can't even put a dent in, can't do a thing to, can't thwart a single one of his purposes. But here's the thing, you must believe. You you must believe that Jesus really is the one that John's describing here. That he's exactly who John says he is. Not a moral teacher, although the greatest of moral teachers. Not just a good example, although the greatest of examples. Not, 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 not just one who suffered unjustly, although the greatest of suffering, the worst of injustices, but God, God in human flesh. You must put your trust in him. You must put your trust in his sacrifice on your behalf. That's the foundation of saving faith. Christ in the flesh, Christ's spotless obedience, Christ's substitutionary death in my place, Christ's glorious resurrection from the dead. That's the foundation of our hope. And then you must surrender to him. You must surrender to him as he really is. He is both Lord and God. Intellectual assent is not enough. Having all your theological ducks in a row is not enough. Getting excited at Christmas time and making Facebook posts about how it's all about Jesus, it is not enough. It gets you nowhere. You must surrender. You must bow the knee. And here's John's promise in his Christmas account. In verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, in his name, meaning who he really is. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the offer. This offer to each one of us. And for many of us, that transaction has taken place. God has given to us faith with which to believe. He has given to us the gift of repentance. We, we know that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That, that our debt paid in full. And we know that it is he who is upholding us just as he has promised For others, you've been hoping in vain and your life bears testimony to it. You have considered yourself a Christian because 
That's felt like the thing to do. And maybe you believe that there's a God and maybe you believe it's the God of the Bible, but your life would bear witness that you do not submit to him. You have not bowed your knee. You are willfully holding on to sin that you will not turn from. And perhaps you've been in church every single Sunday for 40 years. But in this moment, the spirit of God is revealing to you sin that you will not turn from. Well, you've got no reason to believe that this promise is for you unless you will turn. Unless you will come to Christ. Unless you will bow your knee. So I plead with you to bow your knee. He will have you if you will bow your knee to him. This Jesus is not one to be taken lightly. This is God himself, the eternal God, we come to him in reverence and we come to him in awe and we come as those reconciled to God by him rejoicing in his great salvation that he has given to us so freely. What a great, what a great time of year to meditate on these things, to remember and be reminded of these things. Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we glory in you. You are worthy of all worship and all praise as we consider the great things you have done in salvation, the greatness of our God. How, how Lord, inconceivable you are to us in, in your greatness and in your glory and in your majesty. Lord, and in your purposes. And in your work through history, Lord, we, we stand amazed. We stand in awe. And then we consider that the second person of the Godhead took on human flesh. Endured such great trials and temptation and suffering on our behalf. Did so in perfect obedience, fulfilling the law on our behalf. That he submitted himself and subjected himself to a cruel torturous death but beyond that the wrath of God poured out upon him for our sin for my sin we, we are in awe we are in awe when we consider what Christmas is really all about and we are in awe at your might the God who raised Christ from the dead. This Christ who's ascended and seated on his throne, ruling in glory. This Christ who rules in righteousness and justice and might, and yet is merciful and gracious and offers free salvation to all who would call on his name. I pray, God, for those that are in this room that don't know you, or perhaps they, they think that they do. Perhaps they have, have been around the church for a long time, but their hearts are far from you. I pray in your kindness that you would call them to yourself this morning. Save them, Lord, we pray, by your spirit. I pray, Lord, for, for those of us whom you have so graciously saved and made your own that Lord, as we meditate on the greatness of our God, as the, on the greatness of the incarnation, as we... Lord, celebrate this Christmas season that our hearts again would be filled with awe and wonder and worship, that we would glorify you, that we would, 
Lord, that we would submit ourselves to you, that we would walk in greater obedience and fruitfulness as befits those whom you have called to be your own. We pray, Lord, for us as a church that you'd be glorified in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.